Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Attempt to do anything as great as this without praying. So I want us to pray and pray for our ministries out back and those that's going to be continuing on the rest of the day. So let's just pray together as a church and ask God to bless us this day. Father God of heaven, we love and we thank you this day. Father, we praise you right now. Father, we ask in faith right now, God, that you would anoint us, Lord God, for we need you, Father. Hallelujah. We know we're just flesh, God, but I know with your holy anointing, God, that you can touch our mind and our hearts. I know you can direct us, Lord God. You can guide our thoughts, Lord God, our very intense, Lord Jesus. I pray that you touch us today, Lord God. Have your will, your way, Lord God. Let it accomplish, Lord God, that which you would see fit, Lord God. Touch us this day. Strengthen us, God, I pray. Have your way, Lord God. Move and minister, God, on every Sunday school teacher. God, I pray that you touch and strengthen us, Lord God. Open our minds, our hearts, Lord God. We want to receive of your word and retain it, Lord God, and keep it. For it is the nourishment that we need. It is what to defeat the enemy, Lord God, and I thank you for it. Touch us this day, God, I pray. Anoint us, and we thank you, Lord, this day in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's read one scripture, and then I'll let you be seated. Turn with me to Romans uh, 15. I think, if I'm not mistaken, maybe Brother Boyd read this. Um, Last week, if I'm not mistaken, I don't know, I've already forgot, lost track of time, even though it's just a week. <laughs> I don't even hardly know what yesterday was, but um, hallelujah. Romans 15, the 15th chapter, and Paul is writing, and he, he just says it like this. He said, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Now, nothing in here was written just to be written. And of we of all people, I remember the statement that I heard where the man said, there is so much information in our world today, but there is a thirst for knowledge in our world today. And I said, that is so true. There is so much information that goes out, but when it comes to true knowledge, especially if you look in spiritual terms, but we are so much of a blessed people of just the ministering that we have that's made available to us and that what we have access to and how much we can go. And if, if uh, I almost hate to use the word paranoid, but I would almost classify myself as being paranoid on how, on what I allow myself to listen to because of who I allow myself to listen to and what I take into my mind. I want to make sure they're God-called, God-anointed, God-ordained because I don't want it to go, I don't want it to influence me in any way the wrong way because what I take and digest, I don't want to be at the end of the day thinking, you know what, they may have a point. I want to be saying, you know, they have the truth. I believe what they're saying and I can digest it fully within myself and in my spirit saying, you know what? I can believe this. I can bank on this. And Paul was saying, for whatsoever things were written aforetime was written for our learning. And then he uses that word that nobody wants to hear. That through patience. Now we just live in the gimme 
give me it and give me it right now. Okay, preacher, you have one hour if you're lucky. But God just not just does not operate that way. We come to church and and we are just we cannot bring that mentality to church. You know, if if you're at home and you're studying, that's why I have said and I'll always say, do not read the Bible as a novel. Read it and study. That's why it says take it with patience and comfort. That's why if you're going through a situation and you feel the Lord leading you to a passage, do not run away from that because we're individuals and God deals with us as individuals. And he can take a passage that you've read thousand times and give you just what you need. And it's just, and Paul tells us that through patience and comfort of the scripture, we can find hope. And I remember that it's been years ago. I mean, a long time. I was even trying to remember how long ago. I don't even know how long it's been that me and Sister Rayleigh was going to a concert. That, I don't know, it was back when we was young enough to go to concerts. And to Gainesville, and it was actually a Rich Mullins concert. And you've probably never even heard of the name. It's been so long ago. But uh, he has since seen his, his, he was tragically killed in an automobile accident. But uh, we was at the place, and he, it was getting time. I knew it was getting time for him to start singing. And I have just uh, never been to one of his concerts. So we're sitting there. And we're sitting um, where I can see the door, and all of a sudden I see this gentleman walk in. And I'm thinking, you know what? He looks a whole lot like Rich Mullins. And, but that this can't be Rich Mullins. I said, look, I told Sister Earl, I said, look at this joker. He had on the rattiest looking shirt, and his jeans had holes in them. And I said, you know, this guy's walking towards the front. And I said, you know, if it ain't Rich Mullins, this is his twin brother because he really looks a lot like him. So he comes up on the rostrum, and I'm thinking, surely, surely this ain't Rich Mullins. He goes right on up, goes to the mic, says a little bit, starts singing. And once I hear his voice, I said, you know what? (laughs) This is Rich Mullins. So I'm thinking within myself, you know, somebody needs to inform this guy who he's singing for. He's singing for the king. He don't need to walk in here in a ratty shirt and blue jeans that's got holes in them. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, you're getting ahead of me. You shouldn't do that. So I'm sitting there thinking, and I'm trying my best to enjoy the concert. I'm looking at this guy, and I can't hardly enjoy the concert for just looking at the way he's dressed. And then I find out. I find out later that the guy literally came from an extremely wealthy family. And he took a vow of poverty. He took, and he felt this call to the ministry to sing and minister to people. And he said, God, if you'll anoint me to sing, I'll give everything that I make back to the ministry. And he literally was true to that vow. And I thought, how many times would I like to have met him and just say, you know what? I'm just sorry. I'm sorry I judged you in that way. I shouldn't have judged you in that way. I was wrong. I was wrong in doing that. And Paul said, so much was written aforetime that if we could just know the inside of this, so many things was written that if we could just know why they was written, it would add so much more to our lives. And that song that Brother Tim sang, I asked him to sing it Wednesday night because I'll just, that's one thing I do, I try not to do, but just sometimes I just, that song he sings that the guy from Great Britain, uh, Matt Redmond, sings at Heart of Worship. Some, you just hear it, it's just another song, but what he was challenged to do is just lock yourself away till you come back with something. And when he wrote this, he wrote it just to the Lord. He said he never dreamed. I watched him. He said he never would have dreamed this would have touched so many people. But yet, it starts out, I'll bring you more than a song. For a song in itself is not what you have required.
And this song has touched so many people. He said people all literally all over the world has come up to, to, to him and said that song has touched me so many times. Because when we hear that, there's just so much more than just a song that's being sung. It is a guy that was challenged and he got along with the Lord and this was the end result is that song, Heart of Worship. And so I'll just give you a couple more and then I want to go to what I wanted to speak of. But that's why I said that I was just sitting at the house one day and um, I've joked we and told you I'm moody. I guess I am. But for whatever, I hate to use the word mood, but we find ourselves in situations, I feel like I'm just like you. We find ourselves in situations, you're going through situations where you feel like, do you really feel like you can go talk to someone? When it feels like you can't, I promise you, get this Bible. Get this Bible and get alone and God will speak to you. And I don't know why, but so many times have I read Peter walking on the water. And I've told you this. That's why I don't mind telling it again. And I've just, you know, I'm thinking, how many times have I read Peter walking on the water? And it's just like, I'll just call it, I've always stopped at the humanity side where Peter walked on the water. That's great. But I've always allowed myself to stop there. But I was reading it. And I just, I got, I know enough of God that if he directs me there, it's for a reason. So, and then it's just like in the scripture where the Lord says he opened their understanding. And then just, I'm reading this. And then the Lord just impresses on me. I let Peter walk on the water to get to me. And it was in an instant, I understood it. This is not about walking on the water. This is about situations in our lives that look so impossible. Here was a situation that when you get right down to it, walking on the water was just another obstacle that had to be overcome to get to the Lord. And we look at situations in our lives that I can never get to God through this. And God is saying, all you have to do is just ask. I'm here. All you have to do is ask. And God said, I let Peter walk on the water to get to me. And it's just saying, walk on the water, Peter. But the reason I'm going to let you do that is to get to me. And God said, that's the reason I let him do it, was just to get to me. And that is the reason he let him do it. It was not to walk on the water. That wasn't what this was about in so many years. In fact, I just repented. I said, God, I'm just truly sorry for just stopping at just the humanity side and never seeing the spirit side of this. For you let Peter walk on the water was to get to you. That is the reason that you let him walk on the water, that no matter what I face, no matter what's in front of me, that God will always make himself accessible when I will get out of the boat and do it. And one more. I'm, I'm, another situation, I'm standing there, and just like Moses in the burning bush, how many times have I read that? But I was directed to this passage. And, I'm, and it's just, I'm reading this, and the Lord tells me, where he tells Moses to pull off his shoes. And I'm thinking, how many times have I read this? And then the Lord just impresses on me. The reason I asked Moses to pull off his shoes was was that which is so common. We don't think about it. That which was so common to Moses was his shoes. And that which we forget, what God, God had already anointed the ground. Moses is standing there thinking, what can I do? The ground or the anointing was already there. It ain't Moses saying, God anoint me. The anointing was already there. What was preventing the anointing was the shoes. This is not about shoes. This was about something in my life that was preventing the anointing from coming. And it was something as common as shoes. So God is saying, and Moses was, Moses was saying, can I come closer? And God said, no, you can't. 
But in my mercy, I'll anoint where you are. And I thought, you know what? So many times we think we got to get so close. If we're not standing right next to God, we can't do the work that God's called us to do. That's just not the case. God said, I will anoint where you are at. And that which is common, we think. Sometimes we don't think it's an issue. But that which was so common, literally as shoes to Moses, God told him to remove. It was his shoes. Something as common as shoes. You wouldn't think it would be shoes was preventing Moses from being next to God's holiness. But it was. So what was it in my life? It was something as common as shoes. And God said, if that which is common that you don't even dream of being, that would prevent my anointing, but it can. But God said, if you would just remove that blockage, that separation, I'll anoint where you are. So the reason I said all of this is Paul told us that if we would just take time to slow ourselves down, so much was written And the sole purpose it was written was for our benefit. That we, through patience, if we would take the time to learn from it, to receive from it, that we could have the knowledge and the comfort that we need. That there you will not. As the old saying, as Brother Borda said, this is a broad brush, but I got enough confidence in God and believe his word enough You will not find yourself in a situation large enough, messy enough that God cannot help you in it. Because no matter what we find ourselves in, we're humanity. This word was written for humanity. So no matter what we find ourselves in, for how many times would the apostle, did Peter get up that day thinking, I'm going to be able to walk on the water? Absolutely not. But when he asked God, could he? God said, come. So he did. So turn with me. I'm going to jump right in the middle of a story. Turn with me to Exodus. And what I want to speak on today is the blood covenant. The blood covenant. Exodus, the fourth chapter. Turn with me to verse 10. This is where God is telling Moses what he wants him to do. And all Moses can do. And start giving excuses why I can't do it. So in Moses, in uh, excuse me, in Exodus, the fourth chapter, the tenth verse. This uh, this is where I pick it up. God has asked him. This is Moses' response. And Moses said unto the Lord, My Lord, I am not eloquent, neither hereto, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant. But I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him. Who has made man's mouth? And then he said, Or who maketh the dumb, or deaf, or seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. Moses is saying, I can't do it. And God is saying, Who in the first place has made your mouth? And Moses the whole time is saying, I can't do it. I can't talk. I can't speak. I'm not eloquent. I'm just not good enough to do what you've asked me to do. And then the Lord is telling him, you can do this. You can do this. But we know in the end that God, out of his mercy, said, all right, I want you. I'm not changing that. You will go, Moses. And what I will do, I will appoint Aaron as your mouthpiece. He will speak in your stead. And that is that what he was going to do? Now, but I will say this. The original plan of God was for the priesthood to be upon Moses and not on Aaron. But God had to change that because of Moses. Moses is saying, I can't do this. I can't do this. So God said, okay, okay. In other words, how many times? I mean, God, sometimes God just says, you can't do it. You know, I'll just, I'll just work another plan. I'll just go to plan B. You know, and basically that's what happened here. But the original priesthood 
was for Moses, not Aaron. But God literally anointed Aaron in the priesthood to go. But that was not the original plan. It was for Moses. But God anointed Aaron, Moses' brother. So he takes and jump with me, just go over a chapter 2 to verse 6. Now, and look at verse 6, and, excuse me, in chapter 6, verse 2. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham and unto Isaac and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. But this phrase is one that got me. But by my name, Jehovah, was I not known to them. Verse 4. And I have established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, a land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. In verse 5. And I have heard their groanings of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians kept in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. I have remembered my covenant. Now, they said, I appeared unto Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob by the name of God Almighty. But by my name, Jehovah, was I not known unto them. Now, we know that if any, as we would say, if anybody had Abraham's back, God did. For he just said, Abraham, the only thing that's going to limit you is when you quit walking. Because you take, I'm giving you this land, you just start walking. Because where you stop, that'll be it. I will protect you. I will give you this land. I will swear it unto you and to your children. I'm giving it to you. I will make a covenant with you, and you will have this. But the Bible says, and you read of this, it says, I appeared unto them, and I appeared unto them as God Almighty. Other words, the Lord did this, and he did it with a strong hand. Other words, he backed him up. Other words, as I said before, you didn't mess with Abraham or Isaac or Jacob and get by with it. God Almighty protected them. And that's what the Bible says. And he says this, but where he says, but by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. Now, was I not known to them. Now, Abraham, they used the name Jehovah but God said, I was not known unto them. I wasn't revealed unto them as Jehovah. Now, it, the words Yahweh or Jehovah in Genesis alone is used 160 times. So they used the word Yahweh or Jehovah. But God said, they used it. But I wasn't revealed to them as Jehovah. And that's what he means. I wasn't known to them, and I have established my covenant with them, this blood covenant. So they, he took and he, he did this. So later on down, I won't read it. I'll just read, them unto, I'll just read it unto you. In chapter 6, when you go on down a little bit, you can read. God gives them seven I wills. He tells them, I will establish my covenant. I have heard them. I remember that which I said to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he gives them, he promised them seven I wills. He said, I will bring you out. I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you. I will take you as my people. I will be your God. I will bring you into the land. And I will give it to you as a heritage. God is doing this. He establishes blood covenant with them, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he says, it's time as is, it's been said, they went there with 70, 430 years later. There is literally a nation of people. And God said, that which I swear to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in my covenant, it's time for you to possess. It's time for you to go take this land. So God said, I made a covenant with them. So you got to do this. So they take, I have heard their, their, their groanings. 
he said, to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strained, I have, or, 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 where they were strangers. He says, I've heard their groanings of the children of Israel. The Egyptians kept them in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. So God is taken. He said, it's time for you to leave. I made this covenant. I will remember it. And then if you will, turn with me just over a few more chapters to Exodus, uh, the 12th chapter. In Exodus 12, I'm going to start reading at verse 2 and read down to 7. In Exodus 12, 2, he said, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months, and it shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak, it, speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for a lamb, let him and his, and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to the eating shall make your count for the lamb. Verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep. Or from the goats. And ye shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take take it of the and they shall take of the blood and strike it on the side post, two side posts, and on the upper door post of the houses wherein they shall eat it. Now the Lord said, I'm fixing to institute the Passover. And I'm fixing to do something so significant that I'm fixing to literally change your calendar. So he told the Hebrews, he said in verse 2, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. Now where they was at in their calendar, they was literally in the seventh month. But God said, no longer will this be the seventh month. What is fixing to be instituted is the Passover. And now the seventh month will be the first month. From now on, this will be the beginning of months. So he's telling them, this is what's fixing to be. It shall be the first month of the year to you. That's very important. The seventh month became the first month. So he literally changed their calendar. He literally changed the way they look at time, the way I look at it. And he said, speak unto the congregation, saying, listen, in the tenth day of this month, of the first month, of now the first month, you shall take every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. So you take the lamb in the tenth day, and then verse 4 is saying if their house, if they don't have enough people, basically what it's saying, you could go next door, join to that house. Now, and then verse 5, it tells the qualifications of the lamb. It has to be without blemish, a male of the first year. There was strict uh, interpretations of what the lamb had to be. Now, then he says, and then he says, this is what I had heard, and this is what I researched till I was almost tired of researching, but I didn't want to say it unless I was absolutely sure about it. Look with me in verse 6. And ye shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month. Now, if you will just leave that verse there. Keep it up. I want to know what that meant. And ye shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month. And there's two things going on. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it. This was just not done. Now, what I had heard was that the Bible, 
what we read previous to this, the lamb was selected on the 10th day. But now it says you shall keep it up until the 14th day. Now what I had heard is they took the lamb and from the 10th day to the 14th day, the lamb was to literally live with them in their house. And I said, I, I, I have got to research this. And, and believe me, I found this a lot of places. And what I have found is they said they would take the lamb, the lamb would live with them for four days, and now they would take care of that lamb. The Bible says they was to guard the lamb. You would take this lamb into your house. You would bathe it. You would wash it. You would take care of it. You would guard it. You would keep it. Keep it up until the 14th day. Now, and then it says, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it. You did not do this. If you had a sacrifice, you took it to the priest. The priest sacrificed it. But God is saying at the Passover, this is a type. He says, I want in me, in my way of thinking, you take this lamb, you pick it the 10th, you keep it for four days. Other words, you instruct your children that at the end of this, everyone is to have an attachment to the lamb. You let them know that on the 14th day of the month, of the first month, that this lamb that we have guarded, that we have taken care of, is going to give its life for us. Its blood is going to be put on the side of the doorpost and the lintel. There is a reason why we are guarding the lamb. Because we are watching. We took this lamb. We took this lamb into our home. We guarded it. We watched it. Because, and now, do I literally believe, now this is just me. You, you do with it as you please. Do I literally believe, the, it says, in the whole assembly of the congregation. Do I believe that everyone killed the lamb? No. I believe that the, the head of the house was the fathers. But I believe that literally everyone was there. Everyone was there when the lamb was slain. Everyone participated, so to speak, in this. They all gathered there. This was not just the father or, or, or the head of the household, so to speak, killing the lamb and them in the house. No, God said the whole assembly of the congregation was to participate in this. You take the lamb. And then he says, you do this, you take, the, you take this in your home in the 14th day, and then he instructs them when to do it in the evening. You take this. And then he says, you take the blood. And then literally, I know this is simple, but he says, you take the blood, literally, and you put it on one side, you go across the top, and you come down the other. Literally, that is a type. When they walked through the door, the blood made a covering for them. Literally, it made a covering when they walked through the door. And then the Bible says, literally, when they took it, and then when in, in verse 7, it says, Take the blood, strike it on the two sides of the post and on the upper door post. And then the last phrase of that, look at the last phrase, wherein they shall eat it. Do not take this and go mark the barn. In other words, God was very specific on his instructions. You only mark the house wherein the lamb was eaten. In other words, this is what forever amazes me on people that, that, that just on, on their, uh, when they're trying to blast Pentecostals, when they say, you're too strict or you're too rigid. We are not the ones that establish this. They say, you talk about the blood all the time. And I've stopped and I say, no. We are not the ones talking about the blood. God established the blood covenant. All we are doing is talking about what he talked about. And God himself says, when I go through, when the death angel goes through, he did not say, when I see the Hebrews, I will pass over you. He said, when I see the blood, I am a fool. I fully believe this with all that's in me. If an Egyptian lives side uh, Israelite, 
and believed that. And if an Egyptian took the blood and put it on his doorpost, he would have got passed over because God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That was the instruction. So he took and he says, do this. So God's instruction, he says, do not just mark something for the sake of it being marked. You only mark where the house was where the lamb was to be eaten, where you, your family, only mark the house that is imported, only mark the house wherein you partake of the lamb. You take it the tenth, the whole family, the whole house, you take this lamb, you let it live with you, you cherish it, you nurse it, you take care of it. This lamb is your responsibility. And in the fourteenth day, your family is going to slaughter this lamb then you literally will take its blood, put on the doorpost. That, that door, that blood literally will be your covering. And he says to do this. And if you will do this, that lamb's blood will be your covering. Why? Because death is on its way. Death is on its way. And the blood is what's going to cause death to pass over you. And because we are not the ones that speak on this. God is the one that established this blood covenant. He established this. He, this was the one. God was very specific. He is the one that said to do this. He is the one that established how to do this. And he was very specific on how to do it, on how to establish this. Because you did it, and you did it correctly. Because he is the one that says how this is to be done and and. That is how God wants it. It was to be done and done the way that he said. And that was the way it was to be done. So he took, and what I want you to, if you will, turn with me, and keeping that same thought, turn with me to uh, Numbers, uh, the 20th chapter. Now, in speaking of Israel leaving, going, I'm still talking about them going to the promised land. Now, this is a type it is all a type, an analogy, so to speak. Now, in verse 20, excuse me, in chapter 20, I want to read. Uh, this is sort of lengthy, but uh, just stay with me. Uh, in, in Numbers 20, I'm going to start at verse 1. Then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, into the desert of Zin in the first month, and the people abode in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. And there was no water for the congregation, and they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people chode with Moses and spake, saying, Would God that we have died when our brethren died before the Lord? And why have ye brought us up the congregation out of the Lord of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our cattle should die there? You know, that's not that's bad enough just griping. Because you took us and our family, but they had to go throw the cattle in there. I mean, how much is a man supposed to take? I mean, it's bad enough that you're grappling about your family, but now you, they bring the livestock into it, you know. So, and then verse 5, And wherefore ye have made us to come up out of Egypt, and look, you have made us, made us. Now, they have been delivered from bondage. They have been literally delivered. All this they've seen God do, they was delivered from bondage. And now he says, wherefore you have made us to come up out of Egypt and to bring us into this evil place. And then he says, it is no place of seed or of figs or vine or pomegranates, neither is there any bottled water left. And then he says, and Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly of the door, the tabernacle of the congregation, and they fell upon their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. Now, all Israel could do was gripe. And I'm telling you, that would make the man of God go to the Lord. Because right then, you wouldn't want to speak to him. Because you would say, Lord, give me the zapping rod. And they'd be gone. Verse 7, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, and gather the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak, unto, speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water. And thou shalt bring forth to, excuse me, to them the water 
out of the rock, and thou shalt give the congregation and their beast also. The Lord just threw it right back at them. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. Now, verse 10, And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said unto them, Now this is where it starts to turn a little ugly. Here now, ye rebels, must we fetch ye water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod smote the rock twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beast also. Verse 12. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because ye believe me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. Now, just all, it just literally almost makes you feel compassion for Moses and Aaron. Just how much is the one man supposed to be able to take? Because he is doing what God has called him to do. And then all they can do is gripe and complain. It's just everything you do. And Israel just comes back with a gripe, a gripe, a gripe. And so they take, they do this. And they, but remember, all of this was an analogy. And so... Back at Mount Horeb, God told him to strike the rock. The purpose was the Lord was only going to be crucified one time. He said, strike the rock and water will come out. Water did. See, that happens. But here at Kadesh, God said, speak to the rock. But we find out that Moses was just a man after all. And he takes, and out of, I don't know if you use the word anger, I don't know if really anger is the right word, or frustration, whatever, I don't know. I, I can't speak for him. But for whatever the reason, where I believe it went wrong, if you would put up verse 10, in chapter 20, verse 10, where it says, Hear now, ye rebels, and then look at the next two words, must we. I believe that was right there that got him in trouble. Must we. The we, he's not referring to Aaron. He's joining himself to God. That's my belief. Must we fetch ye water out of this rock? And God says, I'm not going along with that. And therefore, I told you to speak to the rock. And you did not do it. This analogy was, is basically this. You struck the rock at Mount Horeb, at Kadesh. I was only to be crucified one time. The next time, what we need, we come to the rock and we speak to the rock. We asked of God what we need. That was to be the analogy. Moses, in his frustration, smoked the rock twice. And then he said, must we? In other words, has me and God just got to do this for y'all? And do I throw rocks at the man? Absolutely not. There's no way I could have done it. I mean, I couldn't even, as the old saying goes, I couldn't even carry the water for the man. I don't know how he done it. I really don't. But it is of my belief that that's where it went wrong. Now, I won't read it, but when you go on down further in this chapter, the Bible says, and this is also of my belief, the Bible says, and, and we read it a little while ago, that God put Aaron as the mouthpiece of Moses. God says, you take Aaron... To the top of the mound. And that's where he's going to die. Because the way I look at it. Aaron. You were standing right there. And as the mouthpiece of Moses. You didn't say a word. When he joined himself. 
to me. There was no rebuke. You as the priest, there was no rebuke that came from you. Therefore, this day, you will die. But God in his mercy, you read it. The Bible says strip. Now, don't read that in a harsh way. The Bible says that Moses stripped Aaron of his garments. But read it in mercy. He said, take his oldest son, Eleazar. And then they took the garments off of Aaron and they put on his son, his oldest son. Therefore, the man died, but the priesthood would live on. So Moses and Aaron, both, God says, you're not going to do it. You're not, you're not going to take this congregation in. You're not going to do it. So I would say it like this. The Bible says in the New Testament, and they did all drink. Paul said they did all drink of the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. In other words, that's why it was so devastating when he smoked the rock twice. In other words, he was playing with things that was a whole lot bigger than Moses. I mean, and I do not want to leave the impression that I'm throwing rocks at Moses. I'm not. But God said all you had to do was speak to the rock. Now, and here's the analogy that I want to leave with you. Moses, as much as he represented, he represented the law. He was not qualified to lead the people into the promised land. Aaron, that represented the priesthood, he couldn't do it. Miriam, that represented the prophets, she couldn't do it. She couldn't do it. The only one who could do it was Joshua, which he was a type, the Bible tells us, of Jesus. His name is goes after Yeshua, which literally means it is the equivalent of Jesus. Jesus is the only one that literally can lead us to the promised land. He is the one. Now, of the word covenant, I was also told this. I didn't know this. That when you look it up, the word covenant literally means to cut or divide. So God literally from the beginning, when he told Abraham, he says, I'm going to make this blood covenant because the Bible says the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And they took the lamb. And the Bible tells us in Matthew, he says, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So, and then Leviticus tells us, um, in fact, I'll just, I'll just read that. Um, Leviticus 17.11 says it like this. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Now, I'm not a Hebrew and a Greek scholar man, but as the old saying goes, this much I know. In the Old Testament, the word for atonement meant covering. In the New Testament, what Jesus is not the same word. The atonement that Jesus meant is not the same as the Old Testament covering. Jesus literally took away our sins. The Old Testament word atonement was just a covering. Remember when the, the priest went and sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat? It was just for a covering. But Jesus literally, the blood covenant, he took away our sins for the remission of our sins. He provided the lamb. And in John... In John 1.21, excuse me, 1.29, the Bible tells us this is the, in John 1.29, the Bible tells us the next day John, not the writer John, but John the Baptist, seeing Jesus coming and saith unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke had not said nothing about this. But John, the writer, recorded John the Baptist saying, 
You know what Jesus is? He is the lamb. He is the lamb. That is the lamb. He is the lamb. Now, what is truly unique to me, and I'll end with this. We know from Passion Week that they started, they started with Jesus, questioning him on. They took him on the 10th day. And on the 14th day, just like in the Old Testament, on the 14th day, he fulfilled the blood covenant because that was the day he was crucified. On the 14th day of the first month, our God fulfilled the blood covenant. And I've asked Amy to come sing a song, Oh, the Blood, and I've asked him to put the words up and just sing along, read the words, because this song says so much. The 14th day of the first month, this blood covenant was fulfilled in our Lord. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.